welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Can you hear me? Go ahead, Preston. Thanks for being here. No problem. Okay, well, uh, my name's Preston. I'm from the Nashville area, and uh, I spoke a couple weeks ago, and I gave everybody my my story, uh, where I came from, uh, or, you know, who I was, what brought me to SA, and where I'm at today. And the where I'm at today was, I'm 11 months sober, actually. As of today, I am 11 months sober. And uh, so it's kind of neat to be talking, you know, just a month shy of one year uh, to somebody that, uh, or to a group of people about, about where I'm at today and, and what I've experienced over the last 11 months. Uh, if you may remember, I'll just kind of, you know, briefly say that I, I definitely qualify as a, sex, a sexaholic, and uh, I've spent most of my life acting out in one form or another, and uh, whether it be looking at porn and masturbating, uh, you know, adulterous affairs on my wife's, uh, you know, multiple, uh, multiple anonymous affairs and things like that. So, been there, done that. And in 2001, I found a brief period of sobriety. I say brief, it was four years, but uh, I wasn't really sober. I only worked steps one through four. And what I mean, I wasn't really sober. I was sober sexually, but mentally, I was still lusting, still acting out in my head in multiple ways and, and just not a, a fun person to be around. So a dry drunk is, I guess, basically the best way to describe it. My wife asked for a divorce at that time. And uh you know, I, I decided to do a lot more research and development and explored many of the things I heard about in these rooms. And um, they they didn't save me. They didn't make me whole. And uh, about three years ago, I started working the program again, coming back in here, and I was struggling to stay sober. I just couldn't stay sober. I don't know why, or I didn't know why, for about two years. And uh, I want to share more about uh Dennis and I were talking a little bit, and I think the thing that I want to share today is the hardest part of finding and getting recovery for me. And uh, so I just want to share a little bit about that. And for me, the hardest part, actually, I was reading in the uh, white book the other day and uh, was reading the 18-wheeler, which is something my sponsor recommends that I do on a regular basis. And there's three things that jumped out to me that were the absolute hardest things for me to get in recovery. But actually, when I started to get these concepts, get these uh, actions, and started putting them into action, my recovery just went leaps and bounds. Um, I heard, and I think for me, it starts with surrender. That was absolutely by far the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life is actually surrender. In the white book in the 18-wheeler on page 
59, it says surrender. Without surrender, mere admission of powerlessness fails to connect us with our higher power. So, you know, for me, I wasn't surrendered. And I wasn't connecting. And I didn't understand it because to me, I was like, what is surrender? To me, surrender is just waving the white flag, throwing up your hands and giving up completely. And uh, I thought I had done that. But then I was listening to David M. out of Seattle on one of his uh, speaker tapes that he had at a convention one time. And he actually said, surrender is not just throwing up your hands. Surrender is change. You've got to change something in order to completely surrender. And I was like, what? I don't get that. But then the the more I got to looking at this, I had to change uh, one key thing in my life, and that was learning to trust. And uh, that's actually in the 18-wheeler, if you're looking at, well, well, bring the insides out and learning to trust. I'm going to lump those two kind of in the same place, right? Number six is bring the insides out. Uh, as I began to see that I would apparently never be cured of the possibility of lusting, I had to bring other steps to bear. Uh, and then number seven is trust. As I was able to more and more to live above my lust, learning to trust more and more in God's power to expel the obsession, I soon learned to begin each day with a prayer of putting myself and my lust in God's hands. And that's where I absolutely failed. Uh, I didn't surrender. I didn't start to change myself until I went to my sponsor and I just, with open arms and open hands, said, what do I do? I'm lost. I I can't get this done on my own power. I just don't know what to do. And my sponsor told me to do something that I've never done. I grew up in the church. I was a... I was a Christian, quote unquote, and uh, but I never prayed. Not once in my life. And my my sponsor told me every morning to pray, and actually my sponsor said every morning get out of bed, get on your knees, and say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. And uh, you know what's funny is for a few months, my first few months of sobriety. I didn't do exactly what he said, and I was finding some relief, but I wasn't finding complete relief. I would lay in bed every morning. I would pick up my phone, and I had the uh, third step and the seventh step prayer written out, and I would I would actually read those prayers laying in bed, and there were several mornings that I was really struggling with lust, lust thoughts, lustful thinking, and it's because nothing really was changing. I was saying the prayers, but I wasn't surrendering or, or doing what my sponsor told me to do. So I called him one morning and I said, I'm really struggling. Here's, I'm laying in bed, I'm saying my prayers, and the whole time I'm saying the prayers, I'm thinking about the dream I was having last night or whatever it may be or what happened yesterday. And my sponsor goes, well, that's great, but are you getting out of bed and hitting your knees? I just kind of laughed and said, well, no. And he said, well, why don't you try that? So about seven, eight months ago, I started actually getting out of bed and doing what he said. I changed. I surrendered and changed and started getting on my knees and lo and behold it's that action of just simply getting out of bed and hitting your knees it's a shift it's a change in and to me it's just a change in where i was at it's that complete surrender doing exactly what he said and and then you know that that boils down to you know i let my insides out i actually told him no i wasn't surrendered completely no i wasn't doing this and then uh you know, it just started changing. 
slowly. Every day was getting a little bit better. The obsession was disappearing and, and, and those kind of things. But I still was really struggling with lust from day to day. And I, the shift for me really happened, and I'm going to tell some stories here uh, because that's the best way I know to relate what happened. I have always been a liar, and that's one of my huge character defects. I'm sure none of you guys are liars, have ever lied or anything like that in the past, but I sure have. Uh, everything I, I – I wouldn't even tell the truth about something as sim- simple as taking the mail to the mailbox that day uh, or, you know, um, I, I just lied about everything. So I remember it was November of last year. And my wife, for Father's Day, had gotten me this really nice pair of Ray-Ban glasses. And Ray-Bans are not cheap. And I know one of my wife's triggers is money. And so she spent quite a bit of money on me for Father's Day. And in November, I ended up losing those glasses. I was at a convention at the Opryland Hotel, and I laid my glasses down, and the next thing I know, they're gone. So either, I don't know, if somebody took them or whether I walked away and they got taken to Lost and Found. They never showed up at Lost and Found. So I don't know what happened to my glasses. The whole way home, I live about 45 minutes from Opryland Hotel, and the whole way home, I'm just in my head thinking about all the stories that I can tell my wife about what may or may not have happened to the glasses, or my thought was, I'm just not going to say anything. And uh, And so when I got home, I had these wonderful fantasies or stories or lies made up in my head about what I was going to do. And instead, I looked at my wife and looked her in the eyes and I said, honey, I I have to tell you today, I don't want to tell you this. And this is all part of trusting, right? I I don't want to tell you this, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do the right thing with this information. And I told her, I said, I lost those Ray-Bans. And she looked at me and says, okay, so how was the rest of your day? And that's all that happened. It blew my mind. All, all this time, I was worried that she was going to blow up. She was going to yell, scream, be angry, be mad. And all of that was stemming back, if I really go back, it's from my childhood, and more, ultimately. You know, whenever I would tell the truth in my childhood, it seems like I always got in trouble. So I just related telling the truth to getting in trouble, and I found that if I lied, I didn't get in trouble, uh, unless I got caught in a lie, which I did a few times, but I got away with more lies than than I got away with, uh, you know, not, not lying. So I, I just went with lies. And uh, I thought, man, this is great. And I started to journal about being able to tell the truth and being able to trust that my wife isn't going to yell and scream at me. And that all just kind of came about because I'm able to tell my sponsor the truth and my sponsor doesn't get upset. I'm able to tell the group that I attend every Saturday morning in SA the truth and nobody judges me. Nobody yells at me. Nobody screams at me. I don't get in trouble. I don't get reported to the cops. Uh, you know, whatever it is I'm thinking. And then, you know, I'm able to start telling the truth with my wife. And that kind of changed my relationship with God because I started to see that I'm seeing God through my wife's eyes. I'm seeing God through my sponsor's eyes. I'm seeing God through the group. 
I'm just seeing and experiencing God in ways that I never could before. And for me, that was the hardest thing because I just didn't trust anybody. I didn't believe that I didn't believe that that they were going to take care of me and not yell at me, not scream at me, not get me in trouble. And then the truth, I thought, man, this is great. I've got this figured out. I know how to tell the truth now and I can do it. And then I thought, you know, I'm ready. Let's go. 100%. I thought I had learned everything I needed to learn about truth. Well, then, lo and behold, about two months ago, maybe less, I was out with one of my uh, coworkers, and we were meeting with a customer, and I noticed that my wife's text got really, really kind of short. And I thought I was being honest with my wife. I told her most of the truth about my past acting out. I I told her everything that was pertinent to our relationship, to our marriage. But uh, the test of whether I was going to be completely honest with my wife was yet to come. And about two, like I said, two months ago, out with some friends, her text started getting really short. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I got home, and the first words out of her mouth are, we need to talk. And uh, the words that trickled around in my head weren't that nice. Oh, shoot. Uh, You can substitute one letter with that. We need to talk is never a good thing. So I sat down with my wife and I just, I looked at her and I said, okay, I have nothing to hide. I knew in my head I didn't have anything to hide. And she asked me a question. She said, have you texted anybody inappropriately? And I was sitting there thinking and I was like, no, I, I have not. And she asked me a couple more times, have you texted anybody in a, inappropriately and I was like no I haven't and she said well what about so and so and I got to thinking I'm like well it's a girl I might have been a little inappropriate I don't know and she just looked at me and she goes how do you not know look at this you've got you've got a smiley face and an exclamation points here and I'm like okay I can see how you can take that conversation to mean I was getting a little excited probably inappropriate okay so, yes, okay, I, I may have been inappropriate. And then my wife hits me with the bigger question. She's like, so why have you been lying to me all this time? And I said, lying about what? And she goes, you never told me that you've gotten an STD before in the past, and you also never told me you visited prostitutes. And it was at that moment I knew that she had gotten into my computer and somehow or another bypassed my passwords and read my first step. Because that's the only place, the only way she could know it. And I had a choice at that moment to either do what I normally do, which is lie and try to make up stuff and try to deflect and try to get out of it. But instead, because of my experience before with her and I knew I could start to trust her, I simply looked at my wife in the eyes. I opened my palms. I put them out there in my lap, just open. You know, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm willing and ready to surrender to you. And I said, okay. So I said, you've obviously read my first step. So are there any questions? And that's all I asked. I didn't do anything other than just ask, is there any questions? You've obviously read my first step. You know all about me. Now, are there any questions? And I was scared to death. I was scared she was going to leave me, divorce me. She was going to, kicked me out of the house. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew I had to surrender at that point uh, if I ever wanted to have a hope of, of a marriage with this woman. And she looked at me and said, well, I read it, but I want to hear it out of your own mouth. And that was the moment of truth for me. I just had to, 
I had to completely surrender to her. I had to completely let my insides out. And I had to completely trust this woman with my story. And to trust that whatever whatever it is, for good or for bad, it's God's purpose and God's plan. And I've never done that ever in my life, except in SA meetings where it's easy, but it doesn't matter. Um, and when I say it doesn't matter, it matters, but it doesn't it doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect my livelihood. It doesn't affect my marriage and my relationship with my kids. So, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. This really mattered to me. And I just opened my mouth. And I started from the beginning when I was five years old, and I told her everything, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the prostitutes, the anonymous sex, the the swingers clubs, all of it. Because all of that was before her, and she didn't know all that stuff. I told her about the STDs that I'd gotten, and uh, thank God it was nothing incurable, but I told her about those, and I just shared and openly and honestly and just let my heart go, and I said, are there any more questions? My palms out, completely surrendered, and just, that was it. And she said, no, thank you, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. And the last two or three months, every day, because there's no barrier between my wife and I, because the trust is completely there and she knows my entire story, good, bad, and ugly, we've had some hard times. We've had some struggles. But now she knows I'm completely honest with her and that I completely trust her with my story. She hasn't left me. She hasn't kicked me out of the house. And slowly our marriage is starting to heal. And it could never heal while there was this big, huge secret between the two of us. And uh, I've never been an advocate necessarily for full disclosure with, with uh, you know, with your partner until they're ready or in, the, in a group setting with a counselor and everybody's there and is ready. But, but I knew that at that moment it was God's planning, it was God's time, and I had to completely surrender to it or I was going to lose this woman that had survived eight years or well, seven years of a relationship with me that was hell, complete hell for her. And now I can openly and honestly talk about anything. Um, when I'm struggling in this program, I can, I don't use her as a sponsor, but she understands even more that I can come to her and say, today I'm just struggling. And if she asks to know more, I can share a little bit more with her without having to be afraid. And that helps me to have hit my knees every morning and say a prayer. And I've been working the 11th step for the last month, month and a half. And not only do I hit my knees every morning and say the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, I've now added the 11th step prayer. And now I'm starting to meditate. And, you know, meditation, I, I was, I've never meditated a day in my life. I'm going to tell you a little story about meditation that, that ultimately I don't think I could have survived the way that, I did if it hadn't been for meditation. And I'm really excited about meditation. So I, I downloaded a meditation app, and I was sitting in the airport the other day coming home from Washington, D.C. And there was a woman that came and sat next to me, and she looked me in the eyes. And for me, I don't know, that's a trigger. And I'm sitting there, and she looked me in the eyes, and it was that look. I knew it was that look. You know, my sex addict brain says she wants to have sex with me. Probably not, if I'm being honest with myself, and that's that's the place where it's hardest to be honest. 
But if I'm honest with myself, she probably didn't. She was just looking at me, just saying hi with her eyes or whatever. But instead of and I, instead of reacting to that, I got up. I changed. I surrendered. <laughs> I got up. I went to the restroom. I came. I, I splashed some cold water on my face. I washed my hands. I came back, got a, a drink, and I sat down on the other side of the airport, put my headphones on, fired up the meditation app, and I started meditating. And I meditated for about 15 to 20 minutes, just listening to the music and the sounds in my head and, and relaxing and just letting my thoughts go. And I was getting away from lust, getting away from those thoughts, and I was surrendering more and more. And then they called. It was time for me to get on the plane. I got on the plane, went to my son's seat, and do you know who was sitting in that seat right next to me? Was that girl, the same one. And she gave me the same look. And I luckily had my earphones on. I just turned up the meditation app. I sat down. I buckled myself up. I closed my eyes. And the plane ride from Washington, D.C. to Nashville was about an hour and a half. And I fell asleep as soon as we took off. And I was listening to that meditation app and fell asleep and woke up right before we got off the plane. And I didn't say a word to this woman, which is a huge change for me. Because I normally would have, at least in the in the uh, effort of being nice, I would have talked to her. And nice was in quotes because there would have been an ulterior motive in there. And uh, then once I got off the plane and I went to the uh, parking spot, which is uh, a place where you park your cars. They come in a limousine and pick you up. And I'm waiting there for the limousine to come, and lo and behold, guess who gets in the limousine right beside me? That same girl. And she looked me in the eyes, and she gave me a smile, which then sends my brain off. And I just, I still had my headphones on. I, I turned up the volume. I listened to the meditation app and closed my eyes for the five-minute ride to my car. I got out. I surrendered. And then I went home, and I gave my wife a hug. There was nothing inappropriate happening, no innuendos, no talking, no flirting, none of the old behaviors that I would have had, and it was all due to prayer and meditation. And I never had that before in my arsenal. Um, yeah, I'd never, never had it. Never had the ability to walk away from a, a person that looked me in the eyes until today. So, so that's that's where I've come in the last little bit, and I just wanted to share. That's been the hardest thing for me to overcome is that surrender and that trust, because I don't trust anybody. I don't even trust myself. Uh, so you know, to overcome that and to trust a sponsor and ultimately trust my wife, it's huge. And uh, to me, I think in recovery, if I can overcome those things, anybody can. And uh, it just takes time and prayer and and complete surrender and. Uh, you know, that, that's the stories that I've accumulated over the last 11 months, and I just wanted to share some of those with you guys. And I don't know if they apply or if they help, but if they do, uh, take what you will, leave the rest. And uh, thank you for letting me share just a little bit more today. And I love this group. Uh, you know, I've only been on here a couple of times, but uh, I, I love this group and uh, appreciate you guys allowing me time to share. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. 
thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.